Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and I fucking love fingerling potatoes. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, and Warner Brothers demands us to record this minisode. We are actually from Space the Nation, which if you're listening to this podcast, you know that because you've subscribed and stuff. And this is a special bonus episode because Dan and I couldn't stop talking about these recent two movies that we both saw. Matrix Resurrection. That's it, right? Matrix Resurrection. Mm -hmm. And Resurrections, plural, I believe. Resurrections. I keep calling it Matrix 4 because... Yeah, that's... Yeah. 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 And the Adam McKay joint, uh, Don't Look Up. And we will briefly, from memory, go over (laughs) the plots of these movies. And then, well, you know, I think it's safe to say we both enjoyed our experiences of watching these movies, but they also raised some interesting points in the ways that they are unsuccessful. Yes, let me put it this way. I think it would be safe to say we agree that neither movie is completely devoid of value, uh, which sounds like a really low bar, but like, you know for the the christmas week that's not necessarily guaranteed but i think both films we can find some flaws in. yeah i mean i think they're slightly above laundry movies but yes oh yeah no they're definitely above laundry movies. yeah they're They're above laundry laundry movies anyway so i'm I'm gonna do don't look up which i saw last night and me texting you about it is what (laughs) inspired us to do this special mini-sode and i i think the basic plot's pretty simple which is two astrophysicists discover a comet that is hurtling towards earth it is kind of like if the last policeman was incredibly didactic, uh, bleak comedy, right? I would go say bleak attempted comedy. Bleak attempted comedy. There's some funny stuff. There is some funny stuff. I, I mean that sincerely, but like, yeah, and, it's and it's it's funny that we're talking about it because when I try to explain this very podcast to people, one of the things I say when I when I you know do our tagline, which is that we look at science fiction through the lens of politics is that we don't do the thing where like this person is is trump and this person is bush and this is the iraq war this movie does that (laughs) does it pretty goddamn clearly this movie is just like it's not like you need us (laughs) no (laughs) listeners it's gonna shock you but i do think that the meryl streep character is supposed to be donald trump but in a skirt. And I think the Jonah Hill character is supposed to be a weird amalgam of Donald Trump Jr. and Jared. And maybe, no, and Ivanka? maybe Ivanka, because he sort maybe, of has a, I, he's, he talks about his mom in a sexual way. That's true, yes, which is yeah. weird. That, 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 that doesn't even make sense, because like, whatever you think about Ivanka, Ivanka never no, said that about No, it's the other Donald. way. Like, it's no, reverse, it's, yeah. It's reverse. Yeah. But I think they're just making a gesture towards that, which actually... Yeah. That's one of the problems with a movie is that they do these gestures towards like, ha ha, wink, wink, you know what we're referring to. Right. And they don't always make sense. But uh, spoiler alerts off the charts for oh, my yeah. brief description of the movie, which is they discover an asteroid is hurtling towards Earth. It's mm-hmm. 99.9 something guaranteed to hit. Nine, eight or yeah, whatever. It, and yeah. it's pretty much doomsday. They go to talk to Meryl Streep, Trumpet. <laughs> President Trumpet, yes. Trumpet. And she reacts in a way that actually I would say almost any politician might react, really. Yeah. It's Which, not a Republican or Democrat thing to be like, how is this going to affect the midterms? Mm-hmm. And despite the dire warnings, they grab onto the whatever fraction Point of zero a percent. 0.06% <laughs> or whatever. That, and, yeah. and are like, hey, let's just wait till after midterms. Yes. Right. We're going to stop and assess. Was that it? it was yeah, like we're gonna, sit tight and yeah. assess, I believe. Sit and tight then, and assess, yes. Then there's a actually a curveball in the movie I did not expect, which is that the, the trumpet decides because the midterms are going badly. There's another plot line about a Supreme Court nominee who's also a softcore porn star, whatever. Having um, an affair with the trumpet, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Mm, who knows? <laughs> or there was, they were sexting one of the two. Like, I can't remember. Yeah. yeah. And trumpet decides, let's go for it. Let's let's do mm-hmm. this, you know, thing that will raise my approval numbers by doing this enormous, expensive, grand military operation, which, you right. know, hey, sure, works. Yeah. At the literal last minute... Mm-hmm. A Elon Musk, after the mission has been launched, right. mind you, yeah. Elon Musk slash Tim Cook slash Mark Bill Zuckerberg Gates slash Zuckerberg, evil tech CEO. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> comes in and is like, "Hey, the asteroid has rare minerals on it." <laughs> Which this was. I, I want to wait to discuss the problems in the movie, but bookmark that. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, no. Trust me, I'm going to bookmark it. Yeah. 
And then I guess the rest of the movie is, but they do actually, I respect the movie for, there is no last minute, you know, savior. Right. So what happens is that the the scientists try to, you know, tell people it's a, there's a comet that's really coming. Listen to the science a lot. Right. And the White House (laughs) is like, no, 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 don't look up. That becomes the the mantra, you know, even though. They are going with the tech bros to, like, try to mine it before they blow it up or whatever. Anyway, yes. So a lot of people have tried to compare this film to Dr. Strangel. I think there was an article in The Intercept that explicitly made that comparison. I would say that the only way this film actually resembles Dr. Strangelove is that in the end, the world is destroyed. And that, you know, again, massive spoiler alert, but... (laughs) Credit Again, to Adam McKay. Gotta respect it. I mean, I yeah, no, I do re- literally respect. I, I'm not kidding. Yeah, they were right to go that way, and that is consistent and with what the, the, the movie's message is supposed to be. Best scene in the entire film. Yes. I think is yes, the best scene in the, the earnest last yeah. supper is right. completely the where the parts of this movie where the earnestness shows through. I think are actually the best parts. Which is why this is not. As I want to be very clear about this, the people who are comparing this movie to Doctor Strangelove yes. don't get why Doctor Strangelove was so fucking yes. awesome. Yes. So, and weirdly, the way I would put this is that this movie doesn't approach Doctor Strangelove because Adam McKay feels too much. Stanley Kubrick is a very astringent director and was detached enough to actually make a movie in which you were able to see all of this. It was all vaguely absurdist. And there wasn't a character in the movie, except outside of, I think, Peter Sellers' Lionel Mandrake, that represented us as the viewer. Mandrake is the only one who's like mildly appalled by what's going on, and he's so British that he handles it in an incredibly repressed way. Whereas in this film, like both Jennifer Lawrence as the grad student, Leonardo DiCaprio as the uh, astrophysicist, like literally have scenes where they are screaming in frustration about all of the stupidity going around on around them. And in some ways, that's the problem. Because if it's going to be a satire, you got to stick to the satire. But McKay it's won't It's not do a satire. Whatever this yeah. movie is, yeah. it is not a satire. It's funny. Right. It's like dressed like a satire. It walks yeah. like a satire. It sounds like a satire. But right. in its heart of hearts, it's not a satire. No, in its heart of hearts, it's a polemic. And yeah. I understand why it's a polemic. And But that is how you have to grade it on. Anyone who compares this to Dr. Strangelove does not understand how satire works. So let's start about talking about what we liked about this movie. And you liked it more than I did, so you go first. Okay, so first of all, although I did not think it was a great parody, I love the name of the show called The Daily Rip, given what how the movie winds up going. And also, literally, they actually got the font for Morning Joe. And in the those set. Months. Have you ever been on Morning Joe? That's yeah, the I have set. Been. Yes, yes, yes. Like, that so. is like, it's... It, I don't know why they went through the trouble, but like... <laughs> That was that was, only and, people and, like you and I would recognize that they've replicated the set, but that's the yeah, set. <laughs> that is the set. First of all, and also I just have to attest, all middle-aged academics, male academics, were once Leonardo DiCaprio. So, you know, I have to respect that part. But more seriously, I actually did like in the very beginning of the film, DiCaprio really nails the naivete and self-effacement that academics have sometimes. Mm. Not always, but sometimes of like, well, no, you know, like this isn't my area of expertise. I'm just the, the PhD supervisor and so on and so forth. Like that, that rang true. It also rang true that he winds up being completely over his head, as most academics would be in that situation. I actually liked that. That was, I thought, well done. The first White House scene, I think we both agree, was actually somewhat credible. Like, yeah. again, most politicians would behave that way. Totally plausible. Um, I loved everything Jonah Hill did in this film. I, I really did, which is a problem because it's not actually it totally works against the rest of the film, which we'll talk about later. But like he's in Jonah a much H- funnier movie. Yes, it's a Jonah Hill is just funny. Like I the, the, there's one point where he says, you guys are from Michigan State. Come on, bro. And like that was a totally believable line. He just delivers it well. And there's a speech he gives at one point where he says, we're the cool rich, which I liked. It was an accurate and yet funny way in which the, the Trump people think of themselves i did like also the one time the mark rylance character gets angry when leonardo dicaprio (laughs) calls him a businessman and rylance looks back and gives this like amazing monologue that i actually think was the if if everything else had matched that tone i thought it would have been really a great film but that's not how it works and as i said i like the ending it was a credible ending given what they were going for yeah that was about it 
yeah. I guess I'll sort of go in, in order of what I most liked to sort of liked and then what I didn't like, maybe. Yeah. The ending is is good. It is heartfelt. Mm-hmm. I found Yule's prayer to be very affecting. Yeah. And a, a wonderful prayer, basically. Mm-hmm. A wonderful request from for the universe. Yeah. Even if you're a, a not a believer type, I thought the things that he was asking for were things, good things for humans to ask for, you know. And I also found that message to be a good one, which is that we, I'm ending with the best part, right? But like right. the idea that, yeah, we got to try. Yes. Right? Like, and that's, that's what the victory is, is you fucking gave a shit and you yeah. tried and then you yeah. try to have some grace. Yes. You know. And um, that's in some ways, that is not a bad guide to how you should do things. When it comes to climate change, whatever it is. And then, yes, Jonah Hill was very good. The acting in general is pretty great. Mm-hmm. It is a overstuffed cast. Yes. It does have a certain towering Inferno vibe with like with all mm-hmm. the stars, like too many t- people to almost recognize. Mm-hmm. And let's see what else I like about it. Jonah Hill was, like I said, Jonah Hill was very good. I felt like... The Jennifer Lawrence character was also well done. If I'm going to speak yeah. as a former, I guess I've never been. A, well, I guess I haven't been. a. have technically been a professor. I had students call me professor, but I always felt. Really but you've weird. been a former grad student. But I've been a former grad student and I, yeah. I liked her. <laughs> I liked her obsessing about the general uh, oh, and the snacks at the White House. That is actually also genuinely one of the funniest things in the movie. Yes, is, that is, was. Yeah. That was a legit inspired running gag. I, I really did like that. And it, yeah, it was. So, the, so yes, yes. The running gag being that this general, for some reason, <laughs> charges them for free snacks. And she just obsesses about the entire movie. And I would do that kind of thing myself, well, I think. Every grad I mean, student would do that. Yes. Right. So, yeah. but that actually maybe is a good transition into the stuff I didn't like so much because I think yeah. there are two things that worked in this movie and they don't belong in the same movie, which exactly. is to say, the earnestness works. Mm-hmm. When they get real earnest, it actually kind of works. Like I would even say the freak out scenes of like, we're all going to die kind yeah. of work. Right. But the other scenes that work are the ones that have a lot of ironic distance. Yes. And have some acid to them. Right. Yes. So like when Jonah Hill mocks them for not being from Ivy Leagues, right. that's acid on the part of the bad guys mm-hmm. that's inviting the audience to laugh at your heroes. Right. Because, like, I mean, it is fucking Michigan State. I don't know. <laughs> My dad taught at Michigan State, but it's a land grant institution. You know, they got to let everybody in. Go- <laughs> they probably do have a good astronomy program. They have a good business school, which is where my dad I was going to say, it's not a bad school. Though. It's not a bad I, I, I school, like- but I, you know, I, but the, I guess my point is the, the inviting the audience to laugh at your heroes is actually... Right, weirdly- a mark of kind of like a, a confident movie yes. that's also willing to poke fun at your good guys. These and good guys do they... not have a lot of fun poked at them. Right. And also, like, I think McKay wants to do that. I mean, yeah. there are various moments where clearly, I mean, you know, the DiCaprio character winds up having an affair with the Mika Brzezinski character. Although, who would not? I mean, I'm sorry, I... but like... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know you're married, but like... No, no. It, I, she's she's she is something else. Like I would say, I don't know if that was Mika. I would be, <laughs> I would be sending flowers and candy to Adam McKay because that's. I, a, I have to say, I, yeah, because Kate Blanchett also Kate Blanchett's wardrobe. Oh, damn, so good. damn, I mean, it was. I know I mean, this is like. Yeah, There's, go ahead. The one dress she's wearing when Caprio's wife is in Melanie the hotel Linsky, room. Yeah, gets in the hotel room. Yeah, Oof, that dress. I was. Yes, I had the exact same reaction. <laughs> I did. I, I really did. She and also, I, by the way, I did like her last line in the film, where like at the very end, like they everyone realizes the world's going to end, and so like the Joe Scarborough character, who's played by Tyler Perry, just turns to the Kate Blanchett character and says, "Do you want to screw? Do you want to eat? What do you want to do?" And she says, "I just want to drink and talk shit about." people that's a really smart way to spend your last few moments i think (laughs) either that or a warm dinner with friends like a Mm. a family dinner with friends so like i said so it's sort of overstuffed with with great actors it seems weird to say that but it's that vibe of like i got a bunch of my other smart hollywood friends together to like make this movie there's very little self-consciousness about it except for the chris evans cameo 
which relies on a joke that's a t that's overly familiar. This like the Chris Evans character has a pen that has an up arrow and a down arrow for both look up and don't, and don't look up. Right. It's like we don't want to make a political statement. Don't want to make know, a political and, statement. Right. And, and it's a that is just a, a joke. That is a a criticism that people make of want to have it all Hollywood actors all the time. Right. right? Yeah. And coming from a cast full of Hollywood actors. Mm -hmm. Like who most of them have taken stands on stuff, sure, but it's a, it just wait, wait, feels it, like come on. We'll, we'll get to this in a second, but I think in some ways this is a weird thing where like the problem with Don't Look Up is that it's not sufficiently meta, whereas The Matrix oh, yeah. on this point actually was sufficiently meta in a way that I it's very tricky to pull off. But they actually I thought pulled it off. And the problem with Don't Look Up is that it's so earnest, right? And I get why it's earnest, but like it doesn't. And in some ways, the, the one virtue or the one politically clever thing about Don't Look Up is that even this podcast, we're talking about things like Kate Blanchett's wardrobe yeah. and like minor shit. And the point of the film is, why are you focusing on all this Picayune shit when there's this looming disaster to befall us? So in, and, there is and, a way in which this movie is critic proof, because the moment a criticism is levied against it, the fans of it could say, see, you are missing the main point. Yes. And I think that it's just not a very sophisticated movie. Right. And a more sophisticated and self-aware movie, which again, so maybe this is a good transition to The Matrix, mm -hmm. which is not as, not necessarily a good movie. And uh, sophisticated maybe is too strong a word, but it, it is more self-aware for sure. Yes. Maybe would have gone like a step farther with that Chris Evans, you know, cameo. Cameo. Because I just feel like, yeah, you're going to make fun of the Hollywood right. non-activism. Right? right, like that's that's tired, right? And then also, even the media focuses on trivialities. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like I saw Wag the Dog too, right? Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, which is except Wag, which Wag the Dog is great actually. It's also not about trivialities; it's about just media manipulation in general. But like, that is not a very like new criticism of media. A more right. interesting take. I mean, I love Adam McKay in general, but a more interesting take kind of would have been like, yeah, of course we're focusing on the trivialities because it is hard to think about you're going to fucking die. Well, you in know? some ways, this is a whole like I a mean, more like in any in some ways more acid, but also more empathy. Like if they could I kind of picked one of those, perhaps. I don't know. Like, so I would say two things on this. The, f the first is, again, this is one of the reasons why we do this podcast in the first place, because one of the reasons we like the sci-fi genre is that the ability, this is where genre has certain advantages. Genre mm -hmm. can tackle certain things that if you just tackle it in a literal way, become very hard to deal with in the sense of right. we're all going to fucking die. The other thing, though, that I did not like about this film, well, there were two other things I didn't like about this film, and I want to stress these. The first is there's IR in it, but it's really, really crappy IR. Oh, yeah. There's just no other way to put it. There's this vague reference to China and Russia deciding they're going to launch the missile, you know, like attack the asteroid. And then somehow, miraculously, their thing blows up. Which oh, I, I, thought was it was, US. I thought it was sabotage. I, I, I was, thought it was sabotage yeah. as well. No, I agree. But like the idea that they're only going to have one shot at it, I, I right. thought was ridiculous. I will say there was a brief moment where like the head of the space agency is on the phone and he's learning about this attack where I thought, oh, he's going to end this with a nuclear war, isn't he? And I would have actually respected that ending because that would have yeah. been believable given that. But that's not where he goes with it. The other thing is, and I apologize to all the climate change activists by saying this, the central metaphor doesn't work. <laughs> the central metaphor does and not you work. You actually are, are I, correct. And then can we talk about the rare earth minerals? After this? Yes. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So, like, the central metaphor is supposed to be... One of the reasons it doesn't work. Go ahead. <laughs> the yeah, exactly. The central metaphor is supposed to be, oh, my God, there's a comet that's going to hit us Earth. There's a 100% certainty that that's going to happen, and yet everyone ignores it, you know, in the next that it's going to hit us in the next six months. That's not like climate change. Climate change is bad. There are lots of things that should be done now to avert climate change. But the reason climate change is such a tremendously difficult policy problem to solve is first, there's a lot of people invested in the status quo that don't want to disrupt it. But second, and more importantly, climate change doesn't affect things in the span of weeks or months. It affects things in the span of decades. Now, we are experiencing the effects of climate change now, but the really serious effects, the things that McKay is trying to get people to pay attention to, that is going to happen over decades. And if there is anything that human beings have a hard time doing, it is trying to solve problems that they know are going to be problems, but they're not problems right now. 
And that's something the movie does not tackle at all because it's an entirely different problem that they're addressing. See, I wasn't going to go with that why it doesn't work. Although that's okay, interesting. Why are you, I mean, why are you going to go? Well, that's fair. I'll defend the choice to go with the inescapable asteroid as the metaphor. Yeah. Because the problem that people who are trying to, you know, agitate for policy changes around climate change, the problem that we have is that people can't see it coming. Right? right? Like, we can't be like, here it is. This is the thing. Everybody look at the thing. And it also starts to seem like the more evidence you have, the more people are like, yeah, but there's still a chance, right? Like, there's still like, you know, there's still some wiggle room. Sure. So I kind yeah. of like the idea of just taking away that part of it to make your metaphor. But the reason I, I kind of disagreed with this choice of metaphor is that in the movie, there's a surefire way of preventing it. Right. <laughs> that's fair. No, that's legit fair. That's a good point. Like, I mean, because the part and of the problem we have... the, the yeah. people with buy-in, the other problem with climate change, and again, maybe stripping this out is just a way of making a movie versus making like a limited series for Netflix or something, I don't know, is that there's a very complicated, um, you know, buy-in and trade-off problem with mm -hmm. climate change, right? right. Th there is a gesture towards the structural inequality behind science policy, whatever, um, when we get to the rare earth thing, which I think there's actually a science problem there, but... yeah. When they talk about how the richer get richer, the poor get poor with the money, with the rare earth metals in right. the asteroid. But obviously, <laughs> climate change policy is complicated because it's not that simple even, right? Like, mm -hmm. it's not just the rich get richer, the poor get poor. It's that in less developed countries need to be able to develop. Mm -hmm. And it is hard to have them do that without using the same tools and the same, you know, processes techniques, yeah. and techniques that the already developed countries have. Right. Mm -hmm. So there is this structural inequality baked into the problem of climate change that mm -hmm. isn't easy for someone who cares about structural inequality to wave off. Right. And yeah. some people and the people who say, oh, but we'll get to it'll be good. We'll invent new ways for them to have technology and it'll be better all right well you know maybe it's hard to tell that to like countries that don't have that right now <laughs> right you know so i don't know like i mean I, I and again you simplify things in order to make a point but i've to me it's that problem kind of in climate there's there's this corporate greed problem of climate change which to me isn't a very complicated moral one like we should just make companies do shit but it's the international aspect of climate change yeah. you know that i find to be a more thorny issue that i don't have answers to i guess no one does if i say if it makes you feel better Anna, no one has answers to these right. questions i mean as, as the latest cop suggests in glasgow it's a it is an extremely tough nut to crack the and yeah, so you wanted to talk about the, the, rare, the, the rare earth minerals <laughs> thing, which did lead, to an, did lead to another great Jonah Hill line where he's like, oh, no, well, I'll be rich. Oh, no. Like, again, yeah, it's, yeah, he, yeah, yeah, he yeah, nails yeah. that. Again, he nails all the lines. It's really good. But go ahead. Well, I would go back to I just thought it was a simplistic way of illustrating why or why we don't do something about climate change. And is there also a science problem? I think there might be a science problem with it, too. Although, again, it's science fiction. So. There's also an economics problem to oh, this. Oh, right, that, yes. There's the minor <laughs> issue of saying, yes, and we will totally get $120 trillion and like, you know, how, that'll affect the economy. How do you extract that? That's the yeah, problem, it, right? Yeah, because there's it, actually, it's true that asteroids have rare earth metals in them. Absolutely, but that is very true. The reason why we don't go into space and get them. <laughs> it's really expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Although, again, you've got, I mean, I will say this, there is a grain of truth to this, and that is where maybe a satire works, because, like, I mean, the Elon Musks and yeah. Jeff Bezos of the world have talked about the idea of mining asteroids. And, you know, hey, as Expanse podcast fans, you know, God knows that's not, it would not be the first time that would happen. The idea that, however, you would do that for one that is heading toward Earth, I think even the Elon Musks and the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world are not idiots when it comes to risk and would be like, no, no, this is one where, like, I don't... We can afford to blow this one up and try to find another one. Yeah, and I, I, we are being a little nitpicky, of course, because that's are. our job. Yeah. That's actually yes. the f fucking purpose of the podcast, really. Yes. Although Annalie Newitz and Charlie Jeaner do have the better title podcast for that, which is Our Opinions Are Correct. <laughs> <laughs> it, you could think of that as the unspoken subtitle of this podcast. Mm -hmm. And speaking of opinions being correct, Dan, 
let's talk about the matrix sure so let us go to the matrix resurrections the plot of this film is a a little more convoluted, actually, I think. I know, look up. it's not just like something smashing into Earth. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I uh, look forward to you, the, the second, the, the third act. I especially look forward to your explanation of that. But go oh, ahead. God. Okay. <laughs> so this starts with Neo being alive, which might be something of a shock to anyone who would actually watch the original trilogy. And, you know, he's Keanu Reeves and he's got good Keanu Reeves hair. But in this universe he is a game designer who designed a game called the matrix that uh is a big smash hit seller in which he's won lots of awards and and so it's a forth. trilogy in fact actually indeed it's a trilogy yeah. and he's taking you know he's seeing a shrink and taking lots of blue pills in order to be able to maintain his demeanor Anyway, he starts getting contacted by people who suggest that, in fact, the thing that he thought was a game might actually be real. He begins to doubt his own reality. Eventually, uh, after a long period of back and forth, including, among other things, the demand that he create a fourth version of the game, which is easily the best part of the film, and we'll get to that in a little bit, finally decides to, you know, swallow the red pill. He is then pulled out of the Matrix. It turns, guess what? It turns out that the Matrix was real and that the <laughs> post-Matrix thing is also real. So he's like, once again, back to being bald Neo. Except this time, it turns out he is informed that he and Trinity had been revived, essentially, by the machines. And they now power the Matrix. That The logic seems oh, to yeah, be... Yeah, this is the part where it's like, um, okay. <laughs> they're basically told that the way the Matrix works now is that it works because both Neo and Trinity are in the Matrix and that they tried to have them just completely together and that didn't work. And what they realized is that they had to have them intersect but not actually be together. And there had to be that yearning and therefore that would power or be the way in which the Matrix works. Yearning powering the Matrix, Dan. I don't know. Is there a critique of capitalism? Oh, maybe. Just maybe. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so Neo winds up in the city of Io, which has now replaced Zion, apparently, where he sees Niobe, played by Jada Pinkett Smith, who has discovered that 60 years have passed, even though it's only 20 for Neo. Niobe does not want to do anything about any of this because... She's worried about the new Matrix. This part was a little no, unclear I, I, to me. I, oh, I think I got this. I okay, got good, this. good, good. Because I think that she had a point. All right. Because one of the cool innovations, there's a couple of cool innovations uh, to, the, to the world of the Matrix in, in this movie. And one of them is if you create, you know, self-aware AIs, it turns out some of them want to be free too. Right, Exactly. And yes. so one of the surprising things to Neo is that there are AIs like functioning. Sentience, I think, or sen- sentience. I, some of them I, have uh, like robot bodies. Um, right. Uh, the Morpheus one appears because of magnetic chips or something. It's not super explained, but whatever. It's kind of cool. Yeah. I liked that. I really liked this idea that once you give self-awareness to anything, it gets to make a choice about Mm -hmm. how it's going to live. Right. And I think her point, like it is fuzzy, Mm -hmm. but I think her point was we have a now. We've got a pretty good here. We've got it pretty good. And also people still come in. People are Mm -hmm. still making the free choice to to join us, right. including AIs. Yes. Right? And that is better than war. Right. Which, and by the way, like... That, and again, sort of has a point. Yes, that's actually fair, because the problem is that what... <laughs> except the problem is, in the plot, is that Neo, by getting out of the Matrix, has the mat- leaves the Matrix unbalanced. Yes. And apparently the yearning can't function, so they're going to do something in the Matrix that would cause significant damage. Neo, therefore, wants to rescue Trinity, who is guarded. Okay, yeah, and this is the part. So this is the part. So he's left the Matrix, and so it's unbalanced. So why wouldn't you just stay out of the Matrix? Then because the Matrix he loves falls. Trinity, and Trinity wants right. to... And Trinity so would die take, or something? Right. Okay, sure. Yes, right. It's not really the needs of, It's a because, movie. Because, Anna, the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many, okay? <laughs> yes. So okay. anyway... That is actually la- one of the messages of the Matrix movies, but go yeah, ahead. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. So 
they go back into the Matrix to try to rescue Trinity, at which point Neo discovers that the shrink he has been seeing, the analyst, played by Neil Patrick Harris, is actually essentially the Architect 2.0. Um, and furthermore, the Architect is able to use bullet time against Neo. He basically is able to say bullet time, at which point everything moves really slowly except for him, and he moves a little bit like uh, Quicksilver in the X-Men movies. So in the end, they decide it'll be down to choice. Trinity has to make her choice. She makes it, oh my God, the analyst double crosses everyone. There's a big, you know, chase scene that as I think, what if we did the Matrix, but with zombies? Yeah. There's no other way I can describe it other than that. At which point, Neo and Trinity end the movie by taking a leap of faith. It turns out now Trinity has the capacity to fly. They are able to escape. And it ends with the possibility of a sequel, much in the same way that the original Matrix film ended. Hey, man, if Warner Brother wants a Matrix 5, we're going to get a Matrix 5, I guess. So I think I liked this movie better than you did. So I will go first with the one <laughs> okay. I liked. Good. I love that first third, mm-hmm. which I have been describing as office space meets beautiful mind. It's like, it is, <laughs> it is very funny. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of great lines on the discord. Uh, some listeners who have been involved with game design said that the game design meeting is spot on. <laughs> <laughs> which sounds pretty hellish. <laughs> like, the thing I thought that was hysterical, which I, is that literally Neo's partner in this game company, who we learn eventually is the Smith character, says Warner Brothers has asked us to make this right. sequel, which Warner Brothers produces the Matrix movies. You laughed. I actually gasped that they were like, okay, we're, yeah. we're hitting the nail on the head here. But right. it works weirdly. It, like Doing meta stuff can be very tricky, but I have to say I agree with you. I like the first third of this film and the discussion of why was The Matrix good? Because it's a conversation we've all had, and yeah, that, that worked actually and pretty well. They also they, they reference all the major theories about The yeah. Matrix, right? They, made, right? they reference the trans allegory. They reference right. capitalism. They reference mm-hmm. like some, a couple others. And what I really liked about that is I don't think they were discounting any of those, actually. No. I think they I were just saying, were. like, we know this is what y'all talk about. Like, this yeah. is this is all open to interpretation. And also, it's the best acting Keanu does in the movie, too. Like, I mean, I th- <laughs> it, it, he's, he's both funny, right? Mm-hmm. But also, like, haunted and real. And anyone who struggles with mental illness, like, this idea of, like, do I want to stay, quote, unquote, healthy? You know, or, or is it possible that this other, this is why it's Beautiful Mind, right? Like, yeah. Or do I want to listen to what might not be real, but feels like it has a message for me? That seems that's an incredibly reductive way of putting it. But I love that part of the movie. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of, you know, obviously, because it's a Matrix movie, of course, (laughs) of course, that's what's not real. And he takes a red pill. Mm -hmm. So I loved all that. I love Carrie Ann Moss is older than I am and looks amazing and also is is in the movie older than I am, (laughs) (laughs) which is also great. Like, she has wrinkles and stuff, you know? Okay, she has wrinkles, but she still looks fucking amazing. Uh, Oh, she looks amazing. People with wrinkles can look amazing. Yes, exactly. Keanu has wrinkles. Yes, But she looks her age. She looks her age, but she looks... Yes, yes. And and she's an action hero in this movie, right? And they both Mm -hmm. get to do all the cool shit, like the running up the walls and whatnot. Um, I thought the fight scenes were just as good as any of the originals. No, no, you didn't agree? No, hard disagree. Huh. This is one of the things I did not like at all about the film. Um, huh. I, I didn't think the, the group fight scenes were very good. I thought the ones that were sort of on smaller scale were okay. I, the I, Literally, I, one of the things I vehemently disliked about this film was that I thought the action scenes were all turgid. Hmm. Like, you know, the only one I liked was the, the one where... Neo is finally fighting like the new Morpheus. Oh, that's you the know, one I was thinking of as being like as good as the original. That that's pretty good. But uh, there is a lot of action that also takes place, and and the last fourth of the film is like a long chase sequence, and it's just boring. Oh I, yeah, there's no other way to put it. In a way that the final third of the Matrix was not, and even like you know the Matrix Reloaded, which is not a movie that I particularly like all that much, but like the action scenes in that are freaking amazing. The scene on the highway 
is tremendous. You know what? I guess I, I think I made this distinction when I just said I like them, which is that the fight scenes versus the action scenes. Okay. Like, because they use the same up the side of the walls, you know, yeah. like cool moving around the one-on-one, like mostly one-on-one fights. There's a couple of fights. shots of, yeah, there's like, there's that one. Uh, to I me, think you're pretty good. Like the one you yeah. referenced between Neo and Morpheus. Right. Action scenes, you're right. Like chase scenes and like the large scale stuff. It was just super boring. Dull. It was just, and, I, and it was like, it, and that's that's the harder stuff to do. By the way, individual fight sequences are have a lower bar, I right. think, to be really good. What makes a, an action movie truly great is when it does a chase scene that we haven't seen before, right? Right. Like, Which The Matrix Reloaded yeah. did. That chase yeah. scene is fucking amazing. It's a great. Yeah. I, I don't like the movie, but I will watch that scene again and again. There is no action scene in this film that I will watch again. I found right. all of it incredibly boring. Going on with the things that I liked, uh, Neil yes. Patrick Harris, you know, it's good that the analysts can recreate the Matrix because he ate so much of the scenery. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, I think, in general, delightful mm-hmm. to watch. Like, just one of, those, one of those actors that always has a spark to him. Yes. I also appreciated Kitty. There's a Kitty. Uh, <laughs> I always like to see cats in lead roles. Called Deja Vu, which I did laugh at. Yes. That was, that yes. was a good joke. Yes. I did, too. Sort of mixed mixed feelings about the new Morpheus because uh, Lawrence Fishburne has apparently said in an interview he was not invited to come back. Oh, so, man. Yeah, that bums good. me out. As much as I liked the new Morpheus, like, I don't know why. We should point out that the, the new Morpheus is not exactly the new Morpheus because he's the new Morpheus. He's supposed to be some amalgam of Morpheus and Smith. Y- yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's what they say. I don't know. Some of that stuff was like, well, I mean, I did like the conceit that Neo built a, you know, a self-replicating program. Yeah. The test of which would be if it developed its its self-awareness. Right. right? No, I agree. That that makes sense. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And then what I liked (laughs) is the the call out that the movie makes to various interpretations. Mm Mm-hmm. Like I said, what I one of the things I like about that particular callout is it doesn't quash any of them. Right. It's just like we know that this is stuff that you talk. You guys about. talk about, yeah, yeah. And the movie itself goes on like to do some criticism. There is a critique of capitalism in this movie. Oh God, yes. And it's but and we can joke about it being obvious, like mm-hmm. you know, yearning powers the Matrix. Mm-hmm. But it is there for you to discover, and it's not fucking don't look up, which does not let you discover anything about it. I mean, this is why I wanted to do these two movies. I mean, I I feel like The Matrix allows you to enjoy it on the level of like, this is a cool movie. Mm -hmm. And if you want to do more, there is more. Let me put it this way. I think... I partially agree with I you. I can't believe I'm calling it subtle. It's not like it's subtle. It's no. Like, that's my, I mean, it's there's like a, we're having a good time. Like we're the, having a good time making an action movie here, and we have other shit to say. I guess. Like, I mean, bear in mind, at one point, Neil Patrick Harris literally says "sheeple." Yeah, that's true. You know, like there is. I, 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 I think it's ironic. I think that. He's, no, I don't think it's ironic because, oh. like, I th- I think, I mean, like, there are various points throughout this film where basically. What I got, the the impression I got was that they were trying to say, all of you people enjoy The Matrix and what the fuck is wrong with you? In the sense of not enjoy Matrix the film, but enjoy living in The Matrix. Oh. There was a certain amount of self of loathing that I got watching this in terms of why are all you people on your machines? Why are all you people so willing to jack in, to plug in? That was one of the the takeaways I, I, I got. Um, and maybe yeah. I'm wrong about this, but I think that was there. Yeah, you're. And not by the way, wrong. it's not. You're and not by the wrong, way, but it's, it a, it's it's a little over. Your, I mean, I can't believe. Like I said, I can't believe I'm calling it subtle. It's yeah, more yeah. like, again, I guess. I mean, even just giving it a compliment, it, it, maybe it's not fair to compare it to such like an in-your-face, al- not even allegory movie like Don't Look Up. But it, to me, it, it is the sort of difference of like we're making a movie and we have stuff to say versus yeah. we have stuff to say, so we're going to make a movie. You know. <laughs> No, that's a fair point. I, no, actually, that's a nice way of phrasing it, which is, again, I, as I said, the critique is not entirely invalid. I'm not trying to say that, like, th- there's not a it's point It's just there. there's also, like, a fun movie being made, yeah. right? Like, yeah. there's also, like, a movie that has cool martial arts in it and has, like, jokes and stuff. 
and you could enjoy it. And I've, I've been saying this, and it's hard to believe, but I went to see this, probably the last movie I'll see in a theater for a while, mm-hmm. <laughs> in like a fairly far south suburb of Austin, and I was the only person who laughed at the meta jokes. <laughs> <laughs> That's weird, because like the, the meta jokes are good, and I agree with you. Like I, My favorite part of this film was the part where they're trying to design the sequel, where they're yeah. trying to design the game. And, but and what, I, what I'm saying is, like, people, you didn't have to, you don't have to like that stuff yeah, to have to want to see this yeah. movie. So there were a couple problems I had with the film. There were things I liked, but, um, and all the, all the things I like you have said. I right. loved Carrie Ann Moss in this film. I like Keanu yeah. in this film. He was really yeah, good, was you great. know, really good as well. Neil Patrick Harris. I think Jessica Fenwick is the actress who plays Bugs. Yeah. Although yeah. it did raise the question, so why does she have a British accent as opposed to everyone else? Like, I'm wondering, does and the Matrix program accent? And there's an Irish accent, too. I, I wanted know. to know if the Matrix program's accents, and it, it was just, you know, like, different people to think, I have to speak in this way. It was an interesting question. Go back and listen to our original Matrix episode, because I have a lot of problems expressed in that about how does it happen that these people have different lives, and who, yeah. who has to be the homeless person, and... <laughs> right, yeah. Like, yeah, anyway. Uh, so there, there are, Those problems still exist, kind of. Like, the critique I had of, like, that kind, that part of the matrix still exists. But anyway, go yeah. ahead. Yes, good performance. So a few other things. I the uh, a few things I didn't like. As I said, I was not a fan of the action, including you know, as I said, with one exception, most of the even the individual fighting sequences. Second, I, let me put it this way: I've seen movies like this before, and I liked it better when it was Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> Because this was, in many ways, a zombie film. Yeah. Um, eh. You know, the, the parts that you liked and the parts that I liked is Keanu, like, going through the, the daily routine of, like, trying to do this game. And that is literally what you see in Shaun of the Dead as well. And I think it's mm-hmm. done quicker and wittier in Shaun of the Dead. And the final third of the film is what if we made all of the people in the Matrix act like zombies? So, like, there's that one. And weird way, it's, it's incredibly well done. Like, they're you see this couple sleeping in the bed and suddenly the woman is horrified because the man gets up and throws himself out of the window to basically be a suicide jumper onto the car. And I was mildly horrified by that, but like also that's basically how the, the action in the film ends. And I wasn't a, a huge fan of that. This is a minor thing. And I don't know how you feel about this Anna. the movie sets up psychiatry as a no, 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 you're you listen to your true self. Like the psychiatrists are like trying to, red pill or, or blue pill you as it were and and i don't know i'm married to someone who's a social worker and a therapist and i don't i very strongly resist that concept because you know most people when they go unmedicated and untreated it ends badly for them yes and i know this is a general staple of these kinds of films and i don't you know but like i felt that a little more this time as a heavily medicated person myself <laughs> heavily yeah you know like i'm on a, a couple of drugs i'm probably gonna have to take for the rest of my life in order to function normally in society i hear you yeah but also i've always appreciated the critique of psychology and psychiatry that asks what do we consider crazy and why do we what is it that we consider crazy right that's fair yeah sometimes that definition is not it is based in power structures right mm-hmm. and women <laughs> we really good example <laughs> getting lobotomized because you like boys you know or like girls right mm-hmm. and uh, the concept of hysteria so i think it's healthy to kind of ask to interrogate like what does it mean to be sane right that's fair and, and let me put it this way in some ways the film does this better with the carrie ann moss character than it does yes. th- with, with trinity than it does with neo because and I did like at the very end Trinity, you know, punching the analyst and saying, how dare you use children in yeah, the way yeah, you yeah. did to try to make me think that, which I actually like that. And I'm glad they that was one of the few times where I was like, yeah, you're you right to be explicit. The uh, one we, li- didn't, we haven't talked about the ending, though, when they talk about painting the sky with rainbows. And I. Oh, right. So, I mean, I guess I'll, that's what I didn't. One of the things I didn't like about the movie, I was like, yeah. so you're just going to you're going to make the Matrix better. Like well, gonna... I think this was the problem with the ending in the original in the in the trilogy, and it's the same problem now. Which is, if you remember, at the end of the Matrix Revolutions, the way that the film sets up the balance is the Matrix will continue, and the humans in Zion can continue to pluck people and, and give them a choice. Right. And the idea is that that will somehow lead to stability. But the problem is, is that I don't think this is and actually then apparently that is what happened. Right. Except it's yeah. not a stable equilibrium in the end because of, among other things, sentient right. machines. Right. And also, presumably, you're going to wind up being too successful in, in plunking humans out. Which, by the way, what I would have also liked to have seen in the film 
is if there were actually sentient humans in the Matrix that knew it was a Matrix but were fine with it. That, in some ways, would have been more interesting. In other words, if you're going to have humans and machines working on the outside, you know, promoting freedom, it would have been more interesting to have humans inside the Matrix fully aware that it's the yeah. Matrix. See, or and a kind of freedom. What is freedom? Exactly. Right? Like, that's the question. And I agree, like... A I mean, it's. I hesitate to call this a weakness of the film because I don't have an answer to it. Right. And I think it's it's tricky to even engage with it. But because the Matrix spawned red pilling, right, right, and spawned this this whole kind of psychological subculture of people who genuinely believe themselves to be living in a simulation, except they're the only. What what the problem with the Matrix is is it's always the other people who are sheeple, right? It's yes, always exactly. Everyone else. And that's the problem with the, the kind of like incel red pill culture that with the NPC characters and yes. I'm the only real character. It's a small group of real characters. And that's why there's this very, be careful, but there is a sort of a tenuous connection between like that culture and like shooters. Yes. Right. Yeah. Or not tenuous. It's an existing connection that rare, but you can you can draw that dot. In and in no way, the in, in no way should I oh, do you oh, blame the filmmakers right. for that? No, no, yeah, no, 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 yeah, no, 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 no. What yeah. I mean is like it is you carry the thinking out, right? And that mm -hmm. is where you get. And if the filmmakers are aware of like the trans allegory and the capitalism allegory, surely they know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I suspect they are dimly aware of this. Surely yet, they know yeah. that their movie has also been co-opted to justify this incredibly self-centered view of the world where everyone thinks they're Neo. Exactly. There are only Neos and Trinities and there are and, and Agent Smiths. Mm -hmm. And there are no other people who exist in a real way except for these very few, right, who are like personally chosen. And in some ways, this goes back to the original critique that I think you had when we talked about the Matrix, the original version of the Matrix, which is the Matrix had a very ambivalent attitude about the people who were still living in the Matrix. Yep. Yep. And like, you know, do you treat them as as casualties of war? Like, how do you, you know, do you treat them as noncombatants? What is the, the rule on that? And so I think that problem has persisted is the way I would put it. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, again, so they're so aware of all these other criticisms and all these other ways of looking at the movie. It would have been interesting to somehow grant, you know, agency and humanity to everyone else. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is a problem in action films and, you know, narrative. No, in it's general, tricky right? to do. Yeah. But like, yeah. but because, the, because the Matrix did, was this foundational kind of narrative in a, in a way of thinking that has come to poison a lot of current political discussion, it would be cool to just have, you know what would be cool actually, is there be a second Neo. Ah, that's you know? interesting. Because one of the questions I had also about the original Matrix was, is there like a South America in the Matrix? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, is there any place besides San Francisco? Or is everyone either, like, everyone speak English in The Matrix? You know, like, are there... And with what accents? So, and yeah, with that what accents? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would have been really interesting is to have, like, a whole, like, kind of cadre of Neos, right? Mm -hmm. Who all are saving everyone all the time. And that would have been an interesting kind of way to talk about how The Matrix powers itself, too. Yeah, Because if, if The Matrix is powered by yearning seducing people to choose the matrix would be advantageous for the machines yes to consciously choose the matrix mm -hmm. right and i think we pointed this out before but i'll point out again which is that there are some people who maybe i mean the question of would you choose to live right if you knew it was all simulation we debated this last time we did i think yeah and it to me it all has to do with like well what are the possibilities for revolution and self-expression and art in the matrix? And if they exist, then, I mean, I'd like to think I'd, I don't know if they exist, then what? Why are you laughing? I am sure there are plenty of NFTs in the matrix. <laughs> okay. Maybe I would die then. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was why I was laughing. Yeah. There's the, the other thing, because the, the other thing that the Matrix doesn't engage with is, yes, it, it refers to, there's this idea that if you choose the Matrix or if you're choosing unquestioningly to live in the Matrix, then you're sheeple, right? Mm -hmm. But love <laughs> exists in the Matrix. Connection right? exists Connection in the Matrix. Connection exists in the yeah. Matrix. Yeah. Self-actualization apparently exists in the Matrix. Or we, I mean, does, I mean, maybe 
it, it, those would be reasons why you might choose to continue living there. If you are doomed to be the homeless person living in the Matrix, maybe you would go live in Io or whatever. But That would also be, by the way, an interesting tweak on the Matrix, which is, is it does it break by class in terms of who wants to exit and who doesn't? That would have also been another way you could have gone. Well, actually. the question I asked you is that do they have real people playing the homeless people, right? Yeah. Like, why you wouldn't you just so. make, yeah, why wouldn't you make those the NPCs where everyone who's in the Matrix? That's fair. Everyone who's, well, anyway, I think we might have exhausted everything we have to say about these movies, Dan. Is that possible? I think it's possible. Yes. You know, I want to make clear that I agree with you that the scolding that the Matrix gives the audience is there. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm just making the distinction between a movie that has an agenda Mm -hmm. and a movie that is only the agenda. Yes. And I agree with you on that. And in that sense, I like you, I think I I enjoyed Don't Look Up somewhat but the things i enjoyed about don't look up are are in some ways contradictory i enjoyed jonah hill's performance and i enjoyed in some ways the earnestness in those two doings don't belong in the same movie whereas with the matrix there is a single movie there and it's a coherent movie well (laughs) coherent is a strong strong word yeah (laughs) but it's a movie it's a movie it's a movie that is the the product of a pretty singular vision yeah and it's only trying to do one thing first which is to, to make a good movie. Yes. Everything else is secondary to that. Right. And whether or not it sees that those secondary things, we, that's what we could argue about. Whereas Adam McKay like is making, he, he's not, his first item on the agenda is not making a good movie. You know, it happens to be okay. It's okay. Right? It's not, I like this much better than I liked uh, Vice. Although I, yeah. So I don't know. I liked Vice. I uh, actually liked Vice, but I think, it was a little more gonzo. Yes. Like, and weird. Whereas this is just kind of like, I don't know. There's a certain, like, yeah, I mean, I just, you know what you're getting when you walk into this movie, right? Right. There's absolutely zero element of surprise, except for when the trumpet decides that maybe they will destroy the asteroid. There's a little bit of a plot twist there. As I said, I did like the Leonardo DiCaprio character's arc in the sense of, oh, suddenly he becomes the hot, I, I hot liked, academic. Yes. I guess there is more to say. I like the recognition that he's hot because sometimes yes. when good looking actors play like nerds or scientists, it's like somehow no one recognizes that they're hot. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no, no, no. I totally get that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's just like, oh, right. He's a, he's a nerd scientist. So we just have him play the nerd scientist. But in this case, it's like, oh, no, that's Leonardo DiCaprio. Like underneath right. those glasses. Exactly. That's Jack from Titanic right there. That's <laughs> exactly that I liked. No, no, I, yeah. I said for, for both selfish reasons, but also literally within the confines of the right. uh, thing. We hope you've enjoyed this little Yuletide present from, from me and Dan. I don't know. We always talk about doing these more. It is fun. And let us know. Let us know if you want more of this stuff. We, it's we, true. We, we, we have fun talking We care about, about you, the patrons, and, you know, you deserve occasionally these sorts of and, minisodes. And, and there's a lot of content that has dropped while we've been talking about The Expanse. So, yeah. That is true. And also, behind the scenes peak to just be able to turn on the recorder and just, like, talk like we probably would <laughs> even <laughs> if there was nothing recording our voices. Yes. Um, it's pretty fun. Everyone have a safe and happy last part of your year and a good start to 2022. And until next time, keep this channel open. <laughs>